Psalms chapter 90 or Psalms 90. We're going to read one verse there and then we're going to go back into the New Testament and read one verse and then begin from there. Of course, you can see that Pastor Dimmel is not here today. He's on vacation in Florida and he'll be back in a couple of weeks. And so if you come to hear Pastor Dimlo, you uh, missed out. And if you come to hear Pastor Humphrey, you missed out. But if you come to hear, if you come to hear the Lord, you might take something home with you today. And hopefully that's why you've come. Psalms 90 and verse 2 tells us something about the person of God. Very outstanding statement, we don't have a small God. He says in verse 2 of Psalms 90, Behold, before the mountains were brought forth, or ever thou hast formed the earth and the world, even from everlasting to everlasting, thou art God. And then, over in the New Testament, 1 Timothy, the first chapter, in the 17th verse, the Bible says, Now unto the King eternal, immortal, invisible, the only wise God be honor and glory forever and ever. A little verse that tells us so much about God, that he's king, he's the sovereign over all, that he's immortal, he doesn't die. He's invisible, he's wise, the only wise, and to him should be honor and glory forever and ever. And of course you'll remember, many of you, when Moses escaped Egypt and went down into the desert and he was herding sheep for his father-in-law that he saw a bush burning and uh, as he looked at the bush he noticed that it kept burning almost like a candle but it never did go out and so he knew something supernatural was happening and he went over there and God spoke to him out of the bush and said, take off your shoes for you're on holy ground. He was God. And he asked him what his name was and God answered Moses and he said, I am that I am. That is, that not that I was or I will be, but I am continually. And so this morning I want to talk to you about the attribute of God, that he's eternal, that he's from everlasting <laughs> to everlasting. Of course, you understand that that word eternal does mean everlasting. He has no beginning and he has no end. And as we read in Psalms 90, before the mountains were brought forth, wherever thou hast formed the earth and the world from everlasting to everlasting, thou art God. And because we measure everything in time, 
It's very hard to conceive of something that has no beginning, but something that's always been and will continue forever. To think about eternity for you and I as humans, it's a little bit uh, mind-boggling. It kind of messes up our thinking. And in some ways, it can be overwhelming trying to conceive of it. I remember uh, back in uh, 1960, uh, television came to the little town of Fossil, Oregon, and, and uh, we had our little black and white television going. But there was this movie, I don't know much about it except this account. It seemed like it was a gladiator or some kind of a Roman soldier, and they were questioning him as far as his ability to be able to be advanced and and they had one of the questions, I think they asked him three questions, but one of the questions they asked him, how long is eternity? And he gave this brilliant answer. Eternity is always one year longer than you can imagine. But even that doesn't grasp the idea of eternity. Because when he says it's one year longer, it still is being trying to be defined in time. A skeptic once asked, if God is eternal, when did he create the world? And actually that's kind of a confused question because being in time, we can imagine a moment before time or after time, but there really is no such moment in eternity. God didn't create the world in time. In the beginning, that's the beginning of time. God created the heaven and the earth. And so time came out of God's presence in eternity where there is no time. When you ask the question, as the skeptic, skeptic did, if God is eternal, when did he create the earth? It's like asking the question, when did the man jump from the bridge? Well, if you say, well, he's on the bridge, that's before he jumped. And if you say, well, he's in the air, that's after he jumped. And so time is just a... Even when you say time is a short segment of eternity, uh, it's, it's still tied to uh, time. God's nature is without beginning, without end. He's free from succession of time. We think of eternity as the extension of time, that eternity past, we say, and eternity future. But actually, eternity exists in itself completely devoid of time. It's like a, almost like another realm. That time is in a certain realm, but eternity is outside of that realm. That God exists in eternity and he can stay there or he can choose to structure a point in life where he calls it time. And there's lots that can be said about the eternity of God. 
and him being from everlasting to everlasting, and it's very could be a very long topic. But I'm pretty simple, and I want to keep it simple this morning. <clears throat> I'm, it's just a little three points I'm going to make. Doesn't mean it's going to be short, but three points. Number one, God is eternal. Number two, I am not eternal. Another three, because God is eternal and I am not, then how should we make our lives count for the eternal God? First of all, as we've alluded to already, God is eternal. Isaiah says, hast thou not known? He's, he's questioning this group of people who should have known better. He said, hast thou not known? Hast thou not heard the everlasting God, the Lord, the creator of the ends of the earth, fainteth not, neither is weary, there is no searching of his understanding? The eternal God cannot be searched out by man's finite mind. The eternal God, because he doesn't dwell in time, doesn't grow weary, and he doesn't faint. Before the mountains brought forth, as we read, from everlasting to everlasting, he was God. Psalms 93 says, Thy throne is established of old, thou art from everlasting. If you go with me again back to Psalms, the 102nd Psalm, in verses 24 through 27, we have again the eternity of God expressed to us. In Psalms 102 and 24, it says, He said, I, I said, O oh my God, take me not away in the midst of my days. Thy years are throughout all generations. Of old hast thou laid the foundation of the earth, and the heavens are the work of thy hands. They shall perish. Think of that. The heavens shall perish, but thou shalt endure. Yea, all of them shall wax old like a garment. As a vesture shalt thou change them and they shall be changed. But thou art the same, and thy years shall have no end. As eternal God, he neither faints or grows weary, because he's eternal God. He's the only thing in all of that we know who's the same yesterday, today, and forever. Jeremiah speaks of his love and he says, O Lord, thou hast appeared of old time unto me, saying, Yea, I have loved thee with an everlasting love. As humans, we can love one way one day and a different way another day or have no love at all for someone the next day. But God has an everlasting love, the same yesterday, today, and forever. The songwriter said, Love with everlasting love, drawn by grace that love to know. Spirit sent from Christ above, 
Oh, thou, thou dost witness it is so. Oh, this full and precious peace from his presence all divine in a love that cannot cease. I am his and he is mine. His forever, only his. Who the Lord and me shall part. Ah, what a, ah, what a rest of bliss. Christ can fill the loving heart. Heaven and earth may fade and flee. Firstborn, firstborn light and gloom decline. But while God and I shall be, I am his and he is mine. Oh, listen. Let the mighty Yukon River roll along, draining the water from its drainage, washing the trees and vegetation to the ocean, taking the rocks and the sand to the ocean, until all of the Yukon River drainage is nothing but a big hole. It will still be, I am his, and he is mine. Let the wind blow against the great Denali mountain. Let it scar it. Let it break it down. Let the ice melt and the rocks blow to the bottom until nothing is left of the great Denali but a little molehill. But even after all of that time, my God and I shall be, for I am his and he is mine. One of the great things I did when I first come to Alaska, when it got dark in the, in the fall and winter, I went out there and I wanted to see where that North Star was at. And in Oregon, when you look for the North Star, it's about this level. But you know, in Alaska, the North Star is right up there. Well, let the North Star begin to blink and let the Big Dipper begin to dim until all goes black and it shines no more. And how long that would take, who knows? But in the end, my God and I shall be, for I am his and he is mine. Our eternity matters. We have a great, wonderful verse in Isaiah chapter 26 and verse 3 that we know uh, many times, many of us have memorized and it may be familiar as we read it, but in Isaiah 26 and 3 he says, Thou will keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on thee because he trusted thee, trusted in thee. And what a joy to read that verse when I'm in turmoil and I don't know what's going to happen and, and I have doubts about the future and, and, the, and the word of God comes down and says, Thou, that is God, will keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on thee because he trusted thee. But the, what keeps that verse true is what is in verse 4 when he says, Trust in the Lord forever. For the Lord Jehovah is everlasting strength. There's a peace available for me because God lives in eternity. And when you see that verse there in verse 4 when it says that he's an everlasting strength, that word strength really has to do with the solidness of a rock and, and, the, and the stability of a rock. And, and the songwriter no doubt took that verse when he says, Rock of Ages. 
cleft for me. Let me hide myself in thee. Because God is eternal, he's the great first cause of all causes. The law of cause and effect makes it apparent that something has to be the cause for what's happening, and something has to be the first cause. Creationist Ken Ham gives the following story. He said, once at a conference, I had a boy about 10 years of age come up and ask me, Sir, if God created us, who created God? How do you answer that question for a young child? Well, I said to him, if someone made God, then you'd have to have a bigger God. And the, and the boy replied, yes, sir, that's, that's maybe right. I said, but you've gotten a problem. Who made the bigger God? Who would then need to have a bigger, bigger God who made the bigger God who made God? <laughs> I then went on, who made the bigger, bigger God? Now you would need a bigger, 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 bigger God who made the bigger, bigger God and God who made the bigger God and who made God. And the young boy understood. We could keep going back with bigger and bigger, 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 bigger forever. But listen, our God is the biggest God. And he created it. And he's eternal. Because God is eternal, my future is secure. Deuteronomy says, The eternal God is my ref- thy refuge, and underneath are the everlasting arms, and he shall thrust out the enemy from before thee and shall destroy him. He's an eternal God, and underneath is his everlasting arms. What a fellowship! What a joy divine, leaning on the everlasting arms. What a blessedness and what a peace is mine, leaning on the everlasting arms, leaning, leaning, safe and secure from all alarms, leaning, leaning on the everlasting arms. What have I to dread for the future? What have I to dread for what's going to happen tomorrow? What have I to dread? What have I to fear? Leaning on the everlasting arms, I have blessed peace with my Lord so near, leaning on the everlasting arms. Well, I simply say to you, and I could go on and on, but I simply say to you that God is eternal. And if you know him, he is yours, and we are his. And so the first point, God is eternal. The second point is, we are not. That's, that's great. That's, that's a new one for you, isn't it? We're not eternal. Look over in Psalms 39. In Psalms, the 39th chapter. We're not technically chapters. But in Psalms 39 and verse 4. David, writing under inspiration, says, Lord, make me to know my end and the measure of my days, what it is that I may know how frail I am. Behold, thou hast made my days as a handbreadth, and my age is as nothing before thee. Verily, every man at his best estate is altogether vanity. 
like a warm breath on a cold day. And so David was reminding us, and he's asking God to, to constantly keep in his mind and his heart the idea that uh, I am not eternal, that I need to number my days. And, and, he, and, and he asked for that, that I may measure my days, that, that, that we might not waste our time, that we might realize that time is fleeting, that we might realize that, that we are limited in this world for what we can do, and, and that every opportunity to serve the Lord ought to be grasped onto. And that, that and David is simply desiring to keep his finiteness on the front burner and, and respond accordingly. Now look with me into the, a lot of turning this morning, but look with me over into Hebrews. I mean, I'm sorry, into James chapter 4. In James chapter 4 and verse 13. In James 4, 13, he says, Go to now. So he said, he's saying, start thinking, you know, this is what you should do. Take this into account. Ye that say today or tomorrow we will go into such a city and continue there a year and buy and sell and get gain. And so he's making plans. Whereas you know not what shall be on the morrow. For what is your life? It is even a vapor that appeareth for a short time and then vanisheth away. For that you ought to say, if the Lord will, we shall live and do this or that. And so what he's getting down to is this is our time is short. And, and, and if we could say that I live today in the Lord's will, then that's a wonderful thing. That we ought, to, we ought to lay everything out before the Lord. That we ought to make most of life. The, the most that we can have in life is being right smack dab in the center of the Lord's will. And so he, he, he's saying here that uh, we need to understand that, that we are finite. He says, for your life is a vapor. It vanishes away. You, you here in Alaska, when you go out in the morning and you see your breath, that's what he's talking about. If we would all this morning take a deep breath and then let it out, that's time in relationship to eternity. Our life is but a vapor. And so God is eternal, but we're not. And we have to function in this realm called time. If we are going to settle issues between us and God, it must be done in the realm of time. We can only do business with God in this realm called time. We will be in eternity, whether lost or saved. The Bible talks about being raised to everlasting life or raised to everlasting destruction. But once we leave this world, we've left the realm of time where we have an opportunity to respond to God. That's why it says in 1 Corinthians chapter 16, Today is the day of salvation. Right now is accepted time. We need to deal with our opportunities today. 
God does not promise us tomorrow. We could get the newspaper and, and just go through how this week the cars crashes and young people were killed. And, and we never know. We have no promise of tomorrow. We're dealing in the realm of time. Decisions for Christ must be made in time. It's appointed unto man once to die. And after that, the judgment. That there's no, no second chance in eternity. That now is our time. This is the realm that we live in. The Bible says, And many that, that sleep in the dust of the earth shall awake, some to everlasting life and some to shame and everlasting contempt. Matthew says, And these shall go away into everlasting punishment, but the righteous into life eternal. It's an appointment unto man once to die. There's an appointment in this world where we meet death and time for us is over. Our opportunities are over. Our ability to decide for God is over. The silliness and the foolishness, the, 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 the uh, terrible thinking that I will wait to, until tomorrow to do business with God. As the one in the Bible says, I want to have a more convenient season. I want, to, I want to make my decisions for Christ and repent of my sin when it's more convenient for me. When, when I've already done those things which, which I want to do in, in my own will, in my own life. Don't, don't decide for a convenient season. We only have the time that's given to us. But the great news is, it's still today. You're still living in the realm of time. And we can be forgiven of our sins and made a child of God. John 3.16, For God so loved the world that whosoever believeth in him should not perish. There's a danger in this present time for mankind. We're living with the wrath of God upon our head, but there's an opportunity that we should not perish to have everlasting life. God promises here in time everlasting life. In 2 Corinthians chapter 5, it says, For we know that if our earthly house of this tabernacle were dissolved, we have a building of God and house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. In this time period, we have an opportunity to do business with God and repent of our sins. And, and, and Paul said, we know. Listen, listen, this thing about salvation, this thing about being born again, this thing about having your sins forgiven, this thing about being, becoming a child of God in a point of time, is something that we can know. Paul says, I know in whom I have believed, and I am persuaded that he's able to keep that which I've committed unto him against that day. Listen, salvation, Christianity, is a no-soul religion. I can know that I'm saved. I can know that I have a relationship with an eternal God. But it must be decided in time. How much time do you have? How much time do you have? How much time do you have left? You can't answer that. But let me tell you something. You have today. 
And today is the day to respond to the eternal God. And so, God is eternal. We are not. We must respond in time. But because God is eternal, it's all about him. And what should we do in relationship to the fact that we grasp that God is eternal? Well, look in 2 Corinthians chapter 4. In 2 Corinthians chapter 4, Paul's talking about the reality of salvation. And he says something very direct and needed in verse 16. You see, I mean, uh, before I read that, doesn't it make sense if time has its boundaries, especially in my life. I have time in my life. Whether there's a lot of time after I die or not, I don't know. But I know I have the moment. If time, you know, I'm 73 and it seems like, you know, it's like a breath. <laughs> it's just here and gone. Wouldn't it make sense? Wouldn't it, wouldn't, wouldn't, it, wouldn't the common thinking person begin to think that if time is limited, shouldn't I focus on eternity? In 2 Corinthians 4 and 16, For which cause we faint not, but though the, our outward man perish, yet the inward man is renewed day by day. And so he's talking about living for the Lord. And he says that we don't completely faint away, pass out, but God's renewing us. And then he says this, For our light affliction, which is but for a moment, worketh for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight and glory. Look at the contrast here. He says that all those things that we go through in this life are just little light feather-like afflictions. We're comparing time with eternity. But then he says we have a far more exceeding weight these afflictions are light, but what I'm talking about now, this exceeding weight, is a very heavy weight. It's exceedingly heavy. Weight of glory. Listen, you can't, we as his children can't compare the afflictions that we go through in this life to glory. And so because of that, he says this. Well, we look not at the things which are seen, but the things which are not seen, for the things which are seen are temporal. Time, time similar, temporal. But the things which are not seen are eternal. Do you grasp that? The greatest of all is to come. 
It's eternal. It's in the presence of God. Light afflictions, but eternal weight in glory. And so, what he's basically saying here is this. This is not our home. We were not saved to live in the realm of time, but we were saved to live in the realm of eternity. Where God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Where we will be changed to be in his likeness. That we'll never go to the mirror and see the gray hair. We'll never see the wrinkles upon our face. We are eternal. We're the children of God. We can enjoy Him and all that He has for us in the future eternally. We'll live in a, can't say time. We'll live in an an eternity of joy unspeakable and full of glory. Let us set our hearts on that. Let us set our hearts on our home going. Let us set our hearts on a time when we will see him. And I will be his. And he will be mine. Now, I want you to go over to Ephesians chapter 3. We're talking about how should we respond knowing of eternity. Something very powerful in Ephesians 3 that I'd not ever ferreted out before. In Ephesians chapter 3, In the first seven verses, he's talking about the great mystery that the Jews and the Gentiles can be saved. And just the fact that mankind can be born again. That the descendants of Adam who directly rebelled against God can be changed. To be children of God. And Paul says unto me in in verse 8. He says unto me who am am less than the least of all saints. Is this grace given. That it to preach Christ. And that Jews or Gentiles. Jews being and Gentiles being everything but Jews. That people of the world can be saved and changed. And become new become different, become holy. And he said unto me, who am less than the least of all the saints, is this grace given that I should preach among the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ. And to make all men see what is the fellowship of the mystery which from the beginning of the world hath been hid in God who created all things by Jesus Christ. To the intent, that is, the preaching of the gospel, the mystery of salvation of men, to the intent that now unto the principalities and powers, which is a reference to fallen angels and holy angels, 
to the intent, this preaching of the gospel, to the intent that now unto the principalities and powers in heavenly places might be made known by the church, through the church, the manifold wisdom of God, according to the internal purpose which he purposed in Christ Jesus our Lord. What is he saying here? He's saying that God wants to manifest to the angels his great, his great glory, if, you believe, if that's the word we want, I think it is, his greatness in saving sinners like me. First Peter talks about people being saved and, and how that the Old Testament prophets preached and people were saved and then and first Peter and then it says then it says about this salvation, which things the angels desire to look into. You see the angels, the, the, the unfallen angels lived in the presence of the Holy God. They knew God's nature. They understood his holiness. But what they did not understand, they could not grasp. They couldn't get their thinking minds, whatever that comprises, wrapped around, is that God would die for sinners. And he says in this passage that through the church, local, that's the only way I understand church, local New Testament churches, that through local New Testament churches, the principalities and powers would know the glory of God. That there is, he talks about that there's an eternal purpose People look at a church as, you know, take it or leave it, and, you know, there's some people getting together to fellowship. But let me tell you, the church is more than just taking the gospel to the world. God wants to get eternal glory through Parker Baptist Church and all the other churches. You need to understand this morning, as we talk about the eternity of God, that we, as members of a New Testament church, have an eternal purpose. That we need to engage in God's plan. We need to be a part of a New Testament church. If you're here this morning and you've been born again, the Bible says, They that God received the word were baptized and were added unto them. About 3,000 souls there in Acts chapter 2. God's design is for saved people to get into a local church, a local New Testament Baptist church, I say this morning, that you might be used of him for eternal purpose. A lot of times we come and we sit here and we think about what we're going to do tomorrow, and you know. But let me simply say to you that it says here in Ephesians chapter 3, that we have an eternal purpose as a church. Listen, to be a member of a church and involved in getting the gospel to the world has eternal ramifications. 
not only the fact that I live forever, but the angels shake their heads forever. What a God is this, dying for what he created. According to verse 11, the church teaches us why the world was created. It teaches us why and how centered into the world, sin entered into the world. It teaches us about love and grace and mercy and salvation. And the church lifts the lid off the mystery that God makes it clear that he died for the world. And it's preparing for himself a people. And it's no wonder when you drop on down in chapter 3 of Ephesians. He says in the final verse of the chapter 3. He says unto him. Be glory in the church by Christ Jesus throughout all ages. World without end. Eternity. Amen. And so this morning, we challenge you with the eternity of God. What can we take home? Well, if you're saved, we can rejoice that we're standing on an eternal rock of Christ. We can rejoice that we can rest in the everlasting arms. We can rejoice that God never faints or grows weary. We can rejoice that he loves us with an everlasting love. If you've never been saved, then understand that we live in a realm of time there's no promise of tomorrow. And what's going to be done in relationship to your sin and salvation and the wrath of God being satisfied must be settled in time. And if you are saved, understand that God has chosen to use a New Testament church, which is a body of believers, to bring himself eternal glory. Angels stand in amazement. How could a fornicator be saved? How could a low-down drunk laying in the gutter be born again? How could a self-righteous hypocrite refusing to acknowledge that he's spiritually bankrupt be born again? And for you and I that are saved, let us determine in our hearts with John Newton
to say, when we've been there 10,000 years, bright shining as the sun, there's no less days to sing God's praise than when we first began. Let us focus on heaven. Let us focus on eternity. And if you've not made peace with God, now's your time. This is your time. Today's the day of salvation. Now's the acceptable time. And if you don't understand all that, let us explain to you more about sin and about the judgment of God. But if you do, I mean, God may give you grace as he draws you for a number of days. But time could be over tomorrow. Let's pray. Lord, you've given us a task to preach and teach and explain that which is overwhelming, your nature, who you are, what you are, your eternalness. Thank you, Lord, that we can be a part of that. Our prayer today and heart's desire is that souls would be saved. Our prayer today is that we might, in our struggles, in our short-sightedness, in our infantness, in our finiteness, and not being able to concentrate and focus, that for at least this moment and this hour, we might praise you for what we have in you. In Jesus' name, amen.